listener production. Howdy, you are listening to episode 84 of the Howie Games, part B, featuring the great woman, Kari Webb. On we go. You win your first major in 99. Yep. How do I pronounce that? Demoria? Demoria. Which is now the... Uh, it's now the no, it's now the British Open. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah so Demorier was, um, which is now our Canadian Open. Ah, okay. Um, but Demorier was cigarette co- or is a cigarette right. company. So um, Canada had the same thing as Australia. So so what's it like then when you actually win your first of seven majors? Like you went on an incredible run, but you know when you win a major for the first time. Yeah. Um, well, um, that was one of the tournaments where I, um, my lead up, my preparation wasn't wasn't great. Um, and so that was my fourth year on the LPGA and I was like, you know, you're the best player not to have won a major. So I was oh, getting, that old tag. yeah, that the old Sergio chestnut. Tag. Yeah. <laughs> so I was getting that four years in, I was 25 years old. Wow. Well, it's pretty early to be yeah, tagged that one. Yeah. Right. So, um, I, I made the cut on the number, I think I, I, Oh, you're right on the cut line. Yeah, on the number or made it by one. Um, And then I shot 66-66 over the weekend to pit uh, Laura Davies at the end. So for me it was just like a weight lifted because then I didn't have to answer that question anymore. Mm. Um, But I only felt like I was in contention on Sunday, if you know what I mean, like the last nine holes when I – and I was – four or five groups ahead of the leaders. Um, But, you know, my mum was there. She was over. Um, So it was very special to win my first major and at least have someone in my family um, over to to celebrate with. So you went on a crazy run. You mentioned it. So I've got it here. US Women's Open, two in a row, 01, 01, Women's PGA, 01, Women's British Open, 2002, the A&A, 2000. So you're racking up majors at a remarkable rate here. Um, we'll get to what happened after that. But we talked about the mental side, Kari. Take me through a round or a night before when you're in contention for a major golf tournament. Like time and time again, we see people fall off a cliff over the last nine holes. How do you control it? Like what type of mindset do you put yourself in when – because there's a few sports like it mm-hmm. where you have that, you know, normally the ball comes at you, but you right. sit it there and you can step away and it's, yeah. a, it's a fascinating game it in is. many ways. How, yeah. how did you control it? Um, well, I think that that's the period of uh, my career where that was all coming very naturally to me. Um, so when I started to, well, struggles, probably not the greatest term, but for me it was struggling. Relatively. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a, you know, people are like, well, you've won all these tournaments, you know, what did you do? I didn't have, uh, you know, a step-by-step thing that I had done. It just happened. I didn't have a process. It just happened. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. a nice place to be in. Yeah, right. Clear of mind. Right. Um, and I just, I think it was just very simple. I have to hit it here and then I have to hit this shot. And and I understood the game that I don't have to go at that pin. I can hit it over here. And I was I was obviously super, super confident at that stage and, and, I mean, as as easy as the game can come was coming to me that easily through that period of time. And is Curry Webb after winning a major sitting in a corner in a hotel room reflect? Is she out till five AM dancing and drinking cans? Like how is Kari celebrating in her heyday when you're you're sort of late twenties here? Yeah. 
I, I definitely always celebrate it. I always go out and have drinks with friends. Um, but it wouldn't be like now where I'd sort of revel in that feeling for a few weeks, you know. Like I'd win and then it would be Monday and we'd be at another tournament and it'd be like, all right, you won. Now we're at this event. We've got to win this event. Right. So now we're getting into what drove you and your psyche. Yeah. So it was like tick. Yeah. Okay, one. good. You did that. You celebrated. Let's move on. So although I felt like I was enjoying it, I was I, – I, 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 wasn't enjoying it how I would enjoy it now. I was, I was going to say, we were talking about would you change anything? Would you change that? Would you give yourself more of a pat on the back or not? But then you may not have won. Yeah, I, I don't. I was really, really hard on myself. And so then I was really hard on everyone around me. I expect, if I expected the best from me, I expected the best from you. If you were doing something, if you were my caddy or if you were <clears throat> a part of my team. So we'll get to your team. What does being hard on yourself mean? Take um, us into that position. Yeah. Um, like I, I always describe it as I had an angel and a devil on either shoulder and um, the, the angel was always trying to prove the devil wrong. So I, that was my motivation because I, you what know, so I'd ha- so say some of these majors, so uh, well, the 99 one, uh, the, the 2000 um, US Open, I had the worst preparation. I literally worked to the first tee hoping to make the cut. But... Going, you know, you're you're useless. You're hopeless. You suck. You know, you, you would say that in yeah, your mind. Yeah, you're really, useless, you're really hopeless, bad self talk. Right, and really that was negative the devil. self. Yeah, that was the devil. Tell me more about that. Um, yeah, I think it was what was my motivation was to quieten that voice. Um, so that voice was the starting point, and you had to yeah come, up, come over the top. Uh, of yeah, that. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you sort of thing. Right, it's quite brutal. It was. I. It was. I mean, I think to the to the point where it eventually caught up to me, where um, I couldn't shut that voice out anymore, and I had to. I had to learn. That's when the process of learning, or you know, the whole mental side of the game started for me. Um, what I did naturally, I now had to be taught to do so again. So, why do you reckon that voice was there? I don't know. I, my niece plays golf, and she's already like that, and. I don't, I know, I can't tell her not to be like that. I just try to be the positive voice for her. So you'd beat yourself up though about what, about it, what you've done or what you're about to do? Like you'd beat yourself up about practice or like. No, what? but I, even in the middle of it, in the middle of a round, if I hit a bad shot or I made a bogey or made a double, you know, I'd be like going off at myself. Huh? Yeah. Um, and and f- I think it, it just, it was. I would say that in that period of time it was more letting off steam and I wasn't listening really. But as I got older and I was doing it, it started. I started to hear it. And have a negative effect on And it had overall. a negative effect on my golf. What I about started on- to go, yeah, you are crap, you know. What and, about on those around you? Um, well, my caddy was probably the, the one that would cop most of it because as I was letting off steam, he was getting it too. Um, but um, I also was, um, so um, starting in 2001, um, Mikey Patterson started working for me. He worked for me for 15 years. He, um, I, if he was sitting here, I'd hope he would agree with me. But um, on many occasions I would 
I would not have been the nicest person to work for on the golf course, but most afternoons I would realise that I was an idiot and I would apologise for being an idiot. So I don't feel like he would have worked for me for 15 years no. if I wasn't reasonable. You're not on your own now after spending time on golf course at a professional golf tournament. Never the golfer's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Often the caddy's fault, especially with the men side of well, the tour. I have to say I gave it to myself just as much. Right, so, yeah. Um, I, it was just me expecting the most, absolute most out of myself and expecting that he was there as well, you know, get, giving me his absolute best, which he was. But but again, these results prove even if you had that devil there, you must have made it work for you, even if it was I did. I, I definitely. And, and I, like I said, I think I, it was just my motivator and I didn't really, it didn't, it went in one ear and out the other. But it was how I let off steam. Yeah, World Golf Hall of Fame, I think we mentioned it, you got accepted in there when you were 30 or something? Uh, yeah. It's normally sort of the crusty old operators. You were there and there at 30. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a great honour that I introduce to you World Golf Hall of Fame member, Kari Webb. I need you to explain to me, you said this near the end. The beauty about golf is one day I love it, the next day I hate it. But no matter how my day goes on the course, I get up and I do it again. So two questions from that. What did you hate about it? And then why did you get up the next day and do it again? Oh, I, th- I really hit me between the eyes. I listened to your speech Yeah, well, morning. so I think by the time I um, got to that speech, you know, I'd had the highest of highs and I'd now started to learn that I, you know, to retrain the mental side. And I... And I um, by that stage, I realised that I, I didn't like, I didn't like how golf made me feel and treat people around me. So that's what I meant. Um, when anyone gets upset, I get sorry. upset. No, don't be sorry. Um, this has happened to me a few times on the show. Um, so why does that make you emotional? Um, sorry. No, I'll hit pause. I'll hit pause. No, I'm, I'm good. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm good. Um, no, I think just because deep down that's not the person that I am. Very much not the person you are. Yeah, so um, I didn't, so I I sort of, set, not that I probably succeeded all the time, but I set out not to be, not to be that person. I didn't want to play golf that way. So how did you change? Because we're talking about a period now that people that aren't aware we briefly mentioned it. You had a relative. You're still winning golf tournaments, yeah. so a relatively quiet three years until we get to 2006, so which we'll get to. Yeah. So this is when the game was teaching you the lessons that everyone else has already had to learn yeah. when they're on the way up, yeah. I guess, Car. Yeah. Um, and again, I was still winning golf tournaments, and and um, I still really didn't have as good a perspective as you wish you had. Um, because if you had, uh, if you had the perspective of of a forty five year old back then, you probably would be more suc- successful because you'd handle things differently. But, um, you know, so at that my World Golf Hall of Fame speech it was my first year um, where I hadn't won an event on the LPGA, but I still won the Australian Masters that mm. year. God forbid, you know, like that's the end of the world. But it that was like that for me. I was so involved in or self-involved in my career and what I was achieving that 
that was the end of the world. I, for me, it was hard because I was being inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame and I hadn't won that year. Like that didn't make any sense to me, huh. you know. But I couldn't ha- I didn't have the perspective to just just be okay with that. But I was in that process of um, trying not to be as hard on myself. I I still I still was, but I kind of directed it differently. I didn't tell you know. I might say that that shot sucked, but tried not to tell myself that I sucked. Do you still so when you're playing at Thirteenth Beach this weekend? Is that still part of your golf makeup when you're on the golf course or you've left that behind? Oh, I still get frustrated. Um, but part of when I when I cut back um, my schedule in 2018, 2019, um, 2017, I realised halfway through that year that I was literally burnt out. Um, I've been really fortunate in my career. I've never missed any golf through injury. So I never had any mental downtime. Like I, I asked the absolute most of myself for 22, 23 straight years um, and I just was burnt out and I, stu- and I still didn't like, I didn't like that by that stage, I didn't like that how I felt about myself revolved around what score I shot and right. I didn't want to keep doing that to myself. Right. Is it nice now that it doesn't completely dominate your whole person? Yes. Yeah. Do you think? But if, I think I I think I had to be that way to well, that be successful. Yeah. I, if you weren't like that, do you think we'd be talking about this? No. Here? I, I think that's just how mm. I got it done. Whatever it takes. Yeah. As Grant Hackett told me the other day, whatever it takes. Okay, I'm going to throw a number at you. See if it means anything to you. 116. That's the yardage I had um, into the 72nd hole, um, 2006, Craft Nabisco. Tell me about it. I <laughs> like that you knew the number. I was yeah. thinking, I wonder if she'll recognise that number. Uh, yeah. Um, so this is after a period where you hadn't won a major yeah. since 2002. Yeah. Four years bloody well, yeah. in the wilderness. Know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so leading into that tournament, um, I was working with Ian Triggs at that stage and he was over early in the week and he's like, you're really close, you're really close, and which I... It's like the worst phrase you can say, if you, especially if you don't believe you're really close. <laughs> if you believe you're close, it's good. But if you as don't? long as you're not close for weeks on end and never see the results. But I'm like, Trixie, I'm not bloody close. I'm just not close. And anyway, he stayed through the first round and I shot two under that day, was, which didn't made you think that's pretty good. Lorena Ochoa shot 10 under. So I was like... Wow, what do I got to do? Yeah, I'm already kind of out of it one one round in. But lo and behold, um, I was in the last group on Saturday with Lorena and Michelle Wee, and um, and I and you know I, from, by my standards, 2005 wasn't my best year, so I was pretty low on confidence and and believing in myself, and and that showed on Saturday. I didn't didn't play great at all, um, and was really disappointed that I felt like I'd let an opportunity slip. And the next morning I was in the locker room early um, ahead of when I would walk out to start warming up. So I sat down just for some quiet time and I don't normally read the, the sports section of the local paper, but it was just sitting there so I started to read it. And mm-hmm. um, the writer was writing about Annika Sorenstam and that she was starting the day 10 shots behind, but he believed that she had a legitimate shot at winning. How far behind were you? I was seven. So right. 
So I was like, well, if she's got a bloody chance, then I have a chance. So that's sort of how I walked to the to the driving range. And um, I got off to a fantastic start. Um, and by the time I made the turn, I was only one or two shots out of the lead. And then fast forward to the last where I had 116 yards into the green, I was tied for the lead by now. And the leaders were two holes behind me and they weren't doing anything. So I was like, well, if I make birdie here, um, I, you know, it, it'll, it'll, I have to make birdie probably to be in a playoff is what I was thinking. So 116 is just a perfect smooth wedge. Um, so it was a good layup number. And as soon as I hit it, it was straight at the pin. And um, well, I've watched, I've watched the video many times and Mikey, um, says twice, be right, and it lands and bounces once and then uh, goes in the hole. How do you do? And at that moment, I thought I'd won the golf tournament because I was like... Two shots in front of um, Now two shots, they're doing nothing. I thought I'd won the golf tournament. And I think it was, you know what had transpired the year before and, and learning to be this less um, hard on myself player, um, you know, that it was a very un Kari Webb-like celebration and I jumped into Mikey's arms. He still had the bag on his back. Um, but Massive smile on your face. Yeah. It was emotion in the middle of a golf tournament, heaven forbid. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I literally, I thought I'd, I'd won and I... I when I talk about it, I can still feel like my heart pumping out of my chest. I can feel how, how I felt. Like I'd never been that excited um, on a golf course. And so then that happens. I, I go up, get the ball out of the hole, go into the score tent. Michelle Wee's birdied 16, literally almost simultaneous to me holding it. So she's now one back from she's you. She's now one back. So... I'm like, oh, well, I'm probably going to be, I'm going to have to get myself down now and get ready for a playoff. Um, and as it turned out, Lorena Ochoa eagled last to tie me and then we went into a playoff and I won on the on the first extra hole. How did you get your emotions back in check? Well, I had about 20 minutes. So I just went to the driving range and it was just Mikey and I didn't, because I had a lot of friends um, there and they were just, you know, they'd been drinking and, the you know, yeah, and they were, <laughs> they, I just couldn't be around them. Like, I'm just going over here where it's quiet. Um, and, um, yeah, so I just, and I just, I think I prepared f- that it was a playoff. Like, I expected someone to get to nine under. And, um, and it was Lorena. So, um, yeah, so, you know, like, Going back to the start of the week where I shot two under and thought I was out of it because she shot 10, but nine under was the winning score. You know, those are the things that still I don't, you know, I have had those experiences and you still think that the course is playing harder for you than it is for anyone else, so you're never going to catch catch up. And that's one of those times where I did. Last episode, the Howie Games featured Mr Cricket himself, Mike Hussey, and the download system while the whole show nearly blew up, proving just how popular Huss is. Like me, most of you, though, were a little surprised about how much Mike doubted himself through his career. I was feeling great. I was thinking, wow, how good an experience is this? But then Ricky went out and won the toss and we were batting. 
And mm-hmm. so within half an hour, I was going to be opening the batting with Matthew Hayden in my first test. And that's when everything started to change. <laughs> the butterflies started, the nerves really kicked in, the doubts. Uh, we did the national anthem. About halfway through that, with the, cr- the crowd were loud, roaring out the national anthem. I lost all feeling in my legs. <laughs> you, you lost feeling in your legs? I, I lost, I, lo- I couldn't feel my legs. And then I scurried off, get my pads on. I went to the toilet for about the 35th time. Anyway, I remember being in the middle of the Gabba, about to face my first ball, and Fidel Edwards was the opening bowler, and he's got a long run-up. So you think this is where my training, my four-step routine would kick in, but it's amazing how the mind can fail you at the most inopportune time. So he starts his run-up, and my mind starts wandering and thinking back to playing in the backyard with my brother Dave. And then just as he was getting to his delivery stride, I actually the, I actually started to feel like I was welling up a little bit. And I, and what the last thought I had as he let go of that ball was you cannot be seen crying on your first ball in test match cricket. So you just about had tears in your eyes. I, I just about – I could feel tears just welling up in my eyes. And, and look, I'll be the first to admit I didn't handle the emotions of my first test well at all. Um, I, I was an emotional wreck. It was such a long journey just getting there, you know, a, a childhood dream to get hold of a baggy green cap to play in a test match for, for your country and it actually happened. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it and I, I, emotionally I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it at that stage. That's Mike Hussey on episode 84 of the Howie Games. Back to Kari Webb. The, <laughs> the made-for-TV Battle of Big Horn. Oh, yeah. Tell me about the Battle of Bighorn. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is a bit I've gone out of whack a bit here. This is probably early 2000s. Yeah, that was 2001. Right. So you? Yeah, I was partnered with David Duvall. Yep. Who, who was, was unstoppable He just time. won the British Open. Yeah. And who are you up against? Tiger and Arnica. So a skins affair made for TV? Uh, yeah. Did we play skins? No, we just played a ma- match. Right, a yeah. match. Okay. Yeah. And what was, um, what was it like playing on the course of... Was Tiger Tiger then? 2001 Tiger yeah. was still Tiger, yeah. Yeah, I think Tiger had, I think conveniently for the pairings, he had just, so Annika just passed me as world number one. He'd just gotten world number one back from David. So okay. it was number ones versus number twos. Um, and it was, we played in Palm Springs in the desert in August. Oh. Um, and it was made for primetime TV in uh, in the on the East Coast. So we played the first, well, we were supposed to play, um, well, the last four holes were under lights. So we were playing into darkness and then we'd get to the lights. Um, they, we were playing um, foursomes, alternate shots. So, and I met David literally two hours before we played. So uh, foursomes is a kind of a personal Game like you got to know the person you're playing with to mm. know where to hit them and what shots they like and who's going to hit off this tee and who's going to hit off that one. Um, but uh, it was it was it was crazy. Like the the guys' crowds, I learnt that week very quickly are completely different to ours. We don't have heckling, and we had heckling out there. And I were you getting heckled? Yeah. So David and I had a two shot a two shot lead. Yeah, two shot lead with three to go. And we walked onto the um, 16th green and people were yelling out three part, three part. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't getting that on the LPGA? No, we, we don't experience that. And that's, I have a great appreciation for the guys' um, concentration out there because they deal with a lot more than we do. And how was Tiger as a man to walk around a golf course with you? He's such now he's 
Well, he's even got a be- better record than you, Kari Webb, which yes. is saying something. Yes, he does. He, he's a storied, well, he's a storied athlete. Yeah, he, he is, yeah. I, I play with Tiger um, for the first time in 96. In a, um, We used to have, um, it was called the JCPenney, but it was um, uh, a PGA Pro and a LPGA Pro partner together at the end of the year and it was over four rounds and I got paired with Tiger and Kelly Keeney and it was the end of my rookie year and the end of his rookie year. Um, and he hit golf shots even then that I never thought possible in those two rounds of golf. Um, and I was I was paired with Brad Faxon and, and Brad was, you know, just as mesmerised as I was at certain shots that he was able to hit. Um, and, you know, fast forward to 2001, um, you know, he's dominated the majors at that stage and, um, you know, in, you don't see that s- sort of quality, I guess, in, in a made-for-TV match, but, um, you know, I've been a fan of his, his career, um, you know, what he's accomplished. Um, you know, I feel like you won't see again, but maybe you will. I think we said that when Pete Sampras set the yeah, we did, slam yeah. record and now look at where that's at. But, um, you know, I wasn't old enough to appreciate Jack Nicholas's career, but, um, you know, what Tiger has achieved. And, and I think even last year winning the Masters has probably got to go up there with probably one of the best things he's ever done because mm. I don't think anyone, even him, would have thought he could do that again. So when you're talking about on the golf course that um, he was doing things that you were like, so what could he do? that was blowing your mind? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of things that guys are stronger than mm. us, uh, shots that they can hit that we can't, but he was hitting shots that guys couldn't hit, you know. Um, and and now you're seeing the response to that. Like everyone can hit a stinger. The and, evolution of the game. Yeah, like yep. all those guys can hit the shots that he hits. So, um, you know, he was just, head and shoulders above everybody else. And, um, you know, I think a lot of those guys knew they were playing for second. If he was at his best, they weren't going to catch him. You now get my daughter. Okay. The pickle who likes all ranges of sports. It's not a great deal of exposure to golf till yesterday, <laughs> as you were about to find out. Here we go. Daddy and I were watching you at the driving range yesterday. It was really cool. (laughs) Daddy was explaining to me about birdies, albatrosses and eagles. Have you ever got an albatross? If not, what was your lowest score? So she had an appointment at her 13th yesterday. Okay. And we finished it and her brother then had to go and see someone. And I said to her, we've got 45 minutes. Let's walk down to the driving range and maybe Kari will be there. Unbeknownst, we got there and you walked in and started hitting golf balls and I didn't want to interrupt you so we were standing 10 metres behind you and she was fascinated. Like She's like, wow, she hits so straight. And I said, Sky, look at everyone. And she's like, wow, they all hit it so straight. And I said, yeah, that's why they do for a living. And I was, and she said, do you think she would have got an albatross? I'm like, mm, I don't know about an albatross. But then she wanted to know about lower scores. Well, I haven't had an albatross pickle. Um, actually, Minji Lee had an albatross in the Pro-Am today. Did she really? She did. On a par five? On a par five. Which is smashed the second one in. Yeah, they didn't see it go in. Oh. Uh, it was on the second on the creek. Okay, yeah. wow. Yeah, so um, no, I've not had an albatross. Um, yet. But I have yet. 
But I have had, um, I've had eight hole-in-ones. Eight hole-in-ones? Yes. Wow. Eight hole-in-ones. Have you ever won anything on the hole-in-ones? I haven't, no. No car up for grabs? No, I've held it on a hole that had a car, but it was not on the day that uh, I held it. Say for the weekend, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So what's your lowest professional round? Uh, 61, I've shot twice. 61, where have you done that? Uh, I did it in Michigan and Royal Pines. And is that a day where everything goes right? Full stop? Uh, the one in Michigan, yes. Um, Raw Pines, I made like, I mean, I, I hit it good, but I made some of the longest putts, okay. you know, as well as the short ones, but I made some bombs as well. So, so how do you, uh, before we get what you're up to now, how do you reflect on what's been your golf career so far? It's been a reasonably in-depth chat. I didn't expect the devil on the shoulder stuff. Yes. How, how do you reflect on it all, the success and your position in Australian sport? Um, well, just my personal reflection on my career is that, you know, I lived my wildest dream. Um, you know, my I think I had modest goals. Like I said, I, I just wanted to play professional golf and be able to finish my career and not be in debt. <laughs> Um, so I've definitely... That's a reasonably modest goal. Definitely uh, um, achieved uh, above and beyond that. But that's, you know, that's your wildest dreams. I don't think you you grow up thinking you're going to be in the World Golf Hall of Fame someday. Um, I don't think anyone should try to aim for that. I think those are the sort of things that just come mm. along with it. But, um, yeah, so, I've, you know, my career has been my wildest dreams come true. Are you satisfied with it? Yeah, definitely. I I, I know that I have given 110% my whole career and have squeezed every ounce of talent I could out of myself. Like I, I don't have any regrets on, you know, not trying hard enough and not getting out of it what I put in. Delicate question, especially for ladies, the senior tour. I believe there's <laughs> yes. one event where you can be 45 because you're way... There's actually a f- couple. Right, you're but, way uh, too young for the 50 <laughs> cutoff, but seniors golf, there's, there's a, you can be 45 it's and a 40, couple Yeah, it is 45, right. so Legends Tour is 45. Right, so, yeah. yeah. I am old enough to play with the is old Is that ducks. something you see yourself uh, Possibly, yeah. Um, I think more more so than anything to catch up with people that I've mm. spent my half my life with and, you know... They've retired and, you know, you don't get to see them much anymore. So um, I don't, I mean, I'm sure I'll still expect to play well, but I don't, it won't be, it'll be more um, more of a catch-up than anything. So on the still expecting to play well, we're coming to a natural conclusion, with the amount of tournaments you're playing and the amount of work you are or aren't doing, do you have another, more, several big tournament wins in you, do you think? Oh. Like, is that why you keep playing or no? Um I don't know. Like I don't ever put the possibility of winning out because I know that it's like riding a bike. If I put myself in that position, I could do it. Um, I just don't know how much I'm going to play. And it's not um, out of not wanting to compete because I always want to walk on that first tee, um, first round of a tournament and and get underway. But everything that goes with it and all the hard work and the training that you have to do to be at the elite level is I've done for, well, 25 years as a professional, let alone what I did, you know, in the lead up to that. Um, it's just, and, and the travel, if I were to play full time again, um, I've, I've been spending close to six months now back in Australia each year and I don't want to give that up and mm. I, can't, I can't do my sport 
based in Australia. At my age, I can't add those miles onto my body and, and think that I'm going to compete at a high level. And how do you still deal with expectation? So um, I'm away at the cricket this weekend, but if I wasn't and I was taking the kids to go and watch, I'd follow you and I'd follow Jeff Ogilby because you've both had tremendous success. People expect you to be turning up and still yeah. being the star of the show. How yeah. do you deal with that expectation when you know that you're due to your preparation and maybe not at the level you once were? Um, well, I think I'm just in a different place. But, you know, I still have expectations starting tomorrow. So, you know, I still think I can play well enough to, to possibly be up there on Sunday. And like I said, if I got myself up there, you know, I could slot straight back into it. Um, but, again, it's, you know, I haven't played a tournament in six months, so... You know, my nerves will be there on the first tee for sure, which is good. Like mm. I've always said, if I wasn't nervous, you know, it didn't mean anything anymore. So, you know, I still, I don't want to go out there and just be a number. I'm, you know, I want to, if I'm there, I'm there to compete. So with this time now where you have the opportunity to smell the roses, to use the cliche and spend more time at home, what are you doing with yourself? What, what do you <laughs> enjoy? Like I've heard um, NRL. Watching yes. the North uh, Queensland Cowboys. Yeah, and gone to the Cowboys. Andrew Simons has promised to get me Jonathan Thurston on this podcast, so now you need to ask him okay. next time you see yep. him as well because I'm sure he'd be a tremendous guest. I hear fishing. Yes, not as much fishing agenda. as I'd like, but, yes, right. that's on the agenda. And so what else keeps you happy in the world? What makes you happy? Uh, well, currently just spending time in Australia and being home. Um, I've got three nieces and two nephews, so, nice. uh, yeah, being home a bit more. Um, I've started a golf course design business with Ross Parrot, um, and we are currently are renovating um, Indrapilly Golf Club in Brisbane. So hopefully, um, more work there for us to come, more more jobs uh, around the world and around Australia. Um, you know, it's a side of golf I'd love to get into more, and 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 still keeps me involved in the game. You had a you, you got a fair way down there. Was it the Rio Olympic course? You got a fair yeah, way yeah. Down? We made it to the final. Yeah. Um, Peter Ross and I. Um, so that was sort of the start of our relationship. And um, I didn't find out till last year when I had dinner with Mary, Peter's wife, that um, that Peter had said that he his wish was for the Thompson Parrot. Um, golf course design brand to he wanted me to come on board. Wow. That's yeah. a nice wrap, isn't it? Yeah. So um, Ross, uh, Peter Ross and I had um, bid for a few jobs together. So when Ross and I bid for Indrapilly and and we won the bid, you know, we, we made it official. I noticed also you've been doing some work with a Victorian tourism body. Is it Visit Victoria? Yes, Visit Which, Victoria. Um, is a great thing, especially at the moment, because obviously so many communities everywhere devastated by fire. And yeah. I think people want those out there to know, come and visit our communities. I saw you right. down the peninsula the other day. Yeah. And I hope you're spruiking beautiful bow and heads yes, as well. Yes, yes, that's the plan. No. Um, yeah, so um, I'm an ambassador for Visit Victoria and it's to promote uh, Melbourne and Victoria as a golfing destination so you know people go to Scotland and Ireland all the time you know for a week 10 days and play all the great golf courses and and really Victoria is 
a golfing destination. Mm. The b- best courses in Australia are down here in Victoria. And besides the Sandbelt Golf Course, there's so many other great ones, you know, here at Ballerine Peninsula, um, Mornington Peninsula. Uh, you could be here for two weeks and, and play some of the mm. best courses, you know, in the world. Yeah, I, I noticed the Americans, the President's Cup boys just blown away by the golf courses here. I'm going to, I haven't written any down. First thing that pops into my head, first thing that pops into your head, you can play golf, a round of golf with anyone in the world, doesn't have to be a golfer, who would it be? Uh, my coach, Calvin Aller. Right. Tell me why. You're going to make me cry Yeah, again. <laughs> I know. You're going to make me cry now, actually. Um, because he wouldn't be in a wheelchair. Right. So this is a bloke that first coached you as a little girl um, yep. and ended up in a wheelchair. Yeah. Yep. He um, He's a quadriplegic, but... Uh, when I first, uh, at eight years old, when I was um, uh, started my junior golf, we didn't have a professional at our club. And um, Calvin um, grew up next to my mum with their parents' stores. And so mum and him were friends and he was the club champion out there. So mum just asked if he would, if he saw me out there just to make sure I was doing the right things and not getting into any bad habits. So that was a very informal start. But, um, you know, through 2003, he was my only coach. Um, but uh, 1992, yeah, it'll be 30, uh, no, 1990, it'll be 30 years this year, um, uh, Calvin became a quadriplegic um, and still after he made it back home, um, he continued to, to coach me. Um, but so as someone that I would want to play with, it would be him. It's a great answer. You can play this dream golf duo on one golf course in the world. Where is it? Oh, jeez. I have too many honorary memberships around Melbourne. Well, to... you're going to have to choose one. <laughs> they that. all know that you love them, but oh, I want one. Oh, so tough. Um, oh. I'm partial to Kingston Heath and okay. I don't know, maybe because I won the Australian Open there. That's um, good answer. Yeah. But I love Kingston Heath. I love Royal Melbourne, um, but I feel like I could be playing my best golf and still not figure out how to play mm. play it well. Um, mm. But I do. I love Royal Melbourne too. Um, I just haven't figured that one out yet. You could play golf with one golfer. Who's that? Oh. Um, maybe maybe Louise Suggs, who's one of our founders, back back in her heyday. Right. Yeah, I only knew Louise probably she was in her seventies when I first met her. You're in a hotel room again, and you've got to go to the room service menu. Curry web. What are you going for? Room service menu. Mm. You uh, must have faced a few of them. Yes, I think for a meal that you that you think that they can't screw up, it's probably spag bog. That's what I go with. <laughs> they can't get it too wrong. <laughs> yeah, they can't Maybe get it. the chicken Caesar, but you're never sure yeah. about the anchovy dressing, yeah. but that is my go-to. <laughs> How bad can you make it? Yeah. Uh, I, I'd agree with that. Um, you can win one tournament again. That's probably the hardest question I've got for yeah, you. Yeah, that is hard. Um, any tournament, actually. Just to win again. Yeah. That's as good an answer as yeah. I could hope for. Yeah. Um, we're blessed, and you know if you listen to the show that I normally finish this way, um, to have a lot of kids listening with stars in their eyes and dreams in their brains, which is fantastic. 
could be a three-hour answer. I'm not going to keep you for three hours. What advice would you give for kids growing up that want to achieve success, not necessarily in sport but just achieve success? I think um, to dream as big as you can and don't let anyone tell you that you can't and work your butt off to achieve it. What's it like being... What's it like being reflecting? I probably didn't expect um, to make you cry, yes, so I apologise yeah, for that. Um, no, you don't need to apologise <laughs> because I think we got to the how big a heart you've got. What's it like to look back on what's been such a wonderful career? Um, it's great because it's been golf's been so great to me. Um, it's it's good to be able to to know that um, I was that little girl in air dreaming big, and you know that I was able to achieve that. Um, it does. It it still does now that when I do reflect, amaze me that I was able to come from such a small town to achieve what I did. But I think it just proves that, you know, anything can be done. You know, there's no no roadblocks. North Queensland will next win the NRL premiership in. If not this year, next year. Oh, I like it. Hey, thanks for your time. You've blown me away. I've really, really enjoyed it. (laughs) I knew I would. Um, It's great to see you. Best of luck at 13th this weekend and going forward, you're a star. Thanks, Howie. What an absolute legend Kari is. Thanks to the great woman for her time and reflections. I hope you all enjoyed listening as much as I did chatting with Kari. Thanks to Das for getting everything sorted whilst I'm away with the crew. And thanks, as always, for you good people for giving the show some of your valuable time. Please, please listen to the next ep with Garrett McNamara on Thursday, March 5. Even if you're not aware of his work, it is a freaky, freaky story. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try Listener